Come on. Get in the class. Take your seats. Come on. Come on. Settle down. All right. Quiet. Yeah. And all that other good stuff. I've already screwed up. It, 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 it's been a long week. Y'all build a cat. Yeah. As you can see, Charlie's not here. And I didn't surprise our AI and tell her she had to be Charlie. And I'm not even going to pretend to be the original OC today. It's Friday. And it's been a it's been a rough week here on this end. We haven't told y'all all about it, but um, we've had a lot going on here in our world, Charlie and, and Natasha and I. We're going to get going here. We're going to talk about our fourth president, President Madison. But uh, before we get to that today, a little bit of housekeeping. Um, if you wouldn't, if you're a praying person, just do me a favor and keep Charlie and Gummy Bear in your prayers today. I'm not going to tell you why, just, but keep them in your prayers. Lift, lift, lift Charlie and his wife up. And then, uh, Charlie, I know you're going to listen at some point in time. Brother, <laughs> I have gotten very used to having you around here. I don't even know how to start this show properly without you anymore. So I miss you. You're loved, brother. F- folks, sometimes we forget to pay attention to just how much people mean to us in our daily lives and how important they are to us and how much we rely on them. Today's one of those days where I was reminded. Before we get going, I got a couple other things I want to do real quick. I want to share a couple of emails for with you. I'm, I'm not going to tell you who sent them. I just want to share a couple of thoughts. This one here, um, it just told us, says hello says we just finished watching your youtube broadcast can logic help us sort through the hebrew roots movement said we will be passing this along to our christian friends who can't seem to grasp our current walk with the lord so thank you so very very much and may yahweh greatly bless you that that email meant a lot to those of us here at the um at the road to concord and then there's another one that we got um just yesterday and uh, this one says that we can share it with Charlie and AI, but I know the I know the classmate, so we're going to read just a little bit of it as well. We won't reveal who they are. And it says, "I have ears to hear, and you helped open them further today." It says today's class led me to begin reading Paul's letter to the Romans this evening. He said, "A piece of an answer to an issue I'm working through in my role with." calling a new minister for my congregation leaped off the pages of in, in you know of the front front matter to Romans in my study Bible and uh, more from Romans 1 and 2. So in other words, problem he's been wrestling with opened up for him. So still I need to keep reading and be careful to not screw up how I deliver the message. A little bit of feedback from the class. Oh boy, does that keep us going. You know, we don't get paychecks around here, but when we get emails like that, that's better than money, baby. I thank both of those um, listeners who sent those emails. This is, see, we're getting to them. I'm actually caught up on the email today. All right. So enough jibber-jabber, because otherwise I'll spend all day jibber-jabbering about jibber-jabber. And yes, if you're reading in the comment sections, not on Rumble, any of the other feeds, we are on Twitch, Facebook, and uh, uh, Twitter today, and uh, also on YouTube. If you're reading along there, you'll see that I put a 
comment for the AI in the public sphere. The AI, if you want, you can delete those. I, I whatever you want to do with them, I don't care. But she's she's in the background. She'll be handling comments. I'll do my best to read along on Rumble. Keep up with you. But today, I want us to meet James Madison. It's Founding Fathers Friday. James Madison. Now we all know about him, right? But he's not one of the founding fathers that's often quoted or cited today in, in modern times. And, um, and when he is, it's pretty much just his, his thoughts on religion. So I snagged part of the Wikipedia, um, biography for Mr. Madison. It says he's born March 16th, 1751, and he died June 28th, 1836. He's an American statesman, a diplomat, and a founding father who served as the fourth president of the United States from 1809 to 1817. Madison was popularly acclaimed as the father of the Constitution for his pivotal role in drafting and promoting the Constitution of the United States and the Bill of Rights, although we will see maybe today that he kind of rejects the idea that he wrote the Constitution. He's, he's, he's a modest man. Since Madison was born into a prominent slave-owning planner family in Virginia, he served as a member of the Virginia House of Delegates in the Continental Congress during and after the American Revolutionary War. Dissatisfied with the weak national government established by the Articles of Confederation, he helped organize the Constitutional Convention, which produced a new constitution designed to strengthen the Republican government against Democratic Assembly. In other words, they were re rejecting democracy. Madison's Virginia plan was the basis for the convention's deliberations, and he was an influential voice at the convention. He became one of the leaders in the movement to ratify the Constitution and joined Alexander Hamilton and John Jay in writing the Federalist Papers, a series of pro-ratification essays that remains prominent among works of pol uh, political science in American history. Madison emerged as an important leader in the House of Representatives and was a close advisor to President George Washington. During the early 1790s, Madison opposed the economic program and the accompanying centralization of power favored by Secretary of Treasury Hamilton. Alongside Thomas Jefferson, he organized the Democratic-Republican Party in opposition to Hamilton's Federalist Party. After Jefferson was elected president in 1800, Madison served as his Secretary of State from 1801 to 1809, and he supported Jefferson in the case of Mar Marbury versus Madison. While Madison was Secretary of State, Jefferson made the Louisiana Purchase, and later, as president, Madison oversaw related disputes in the Northwest Territories. Madison was elected president in 1808. Motivated by desire to acquire land held by Britain, Spain, and Native Americans, and after diplomatic protests with a trade embargo failed to end British seizures of American shipped goods, Madison led the United States into the War of 1812. So he was secretary under Jefferson. Jefferson was the Barbary Pirates War. So both of these are wartime presidents. Although the war ended incon uh, inconclusively, many Americans viewed the war's outcome as a successful second war of independence against Britain. Madison was reelected in 1812, albeit by a smaller margin. The war convinced Madison of the necessity of a stronger federal government. He presided over the creation of the Second Bank of the United States and enacted uh, an enactment of the Protective Tariff of 1816. By treaty or through war, Native American tribes ceded 26 million acres or 11,000 hectares of land to the United States under Madison's presidency. 
Retiring from public office at the end of his presidency in 1817, Madison returned to his plantation, Montpelier, and he died there in 1836. During his lifetime, Madison was a slave owner. In 1783, to prevent a slave rebellion at Montpelier, uh, Pelinier, or whatever, Mount Montpelier, I think, Madison freed one of the slaves. He did not free any slaves in his will. Among historians, Madison is considered one of the most important founding fathers of the United States. Leading historians have generally ranked him as an above-average president, although they are critical of his endorsement of slavery and his leadership during the War of 1812. Madison's name is commemorated in many landmarks across the nation, both publicly and privately, with prominent examples including Madison Square Garden, James Madison University, the James Madison Memorial Building, and the USS James Madison. Now, what we're going to be doing today primarily is just reading a lot of Madison's pull quotes from the things that he wrote, a lot of it from the Federalist Papers, but also from his private papers. We're going to read his quotes and we're going to discuss what each one of them means or how they apply, because most everything we're going to read today is still relevant. Um, some of this is just memes that I pulled down off the internet, but a great deal of it I went through and compiled from my uh, my own personal files of Madison's writings. Before we get going, Madison is not my favorite founding father. Um, I don't hate him. I understand him. Uh, I think I do. He, I, I have not read as much of his work as I have Jefferson's but uh, or Henry's, but um, I did read the Federalist Papers years ago. It's been a long time. I also read the Anti-Federalist Papers. Um. Madison can be a complicated individual for modern readers to read. First of all, you're going to need a Webster's 1828 dictionary when you read Madison, period. You're going to need it. He's got a great vocabulary, and he uses language like Jefferson, like a scalpel. He's very exact in what he says, and he's precise with his language, but he's going to use words that you and I don't know. The other thing you're going to run into, the primary thing you'll run into with Madison, he is often used today to hammer Christianity in the idea that the founding fathers were Christians. He has a lot of language that is hostile toward um, Christianity or appears to be hostile toward Christianity. If you read Madison carefully, what you're going to realize is what he's hostile to uh, toward is religion. I did not say faith or belief in God. I said religion. Now, in this hostility toward religion, he shares this in common with a very famous, important figure in, in history, Jesus of Nazareth. Yeshua the Messiah hated religion too. Religion is man trying to control God. And Madison is, when you hear him decrying Christianity in his letters, He's not going against the belief in the creator. He's not going against uh, religion or the benefit, benefit, uh, bene beneficial, I'm sorry, having a hard time finding my words today, the bene beneficial aspects of religion in society or, or to even government. What he's against is people who are trampling on the conscience of the individual. Okay. If, if you have different religious beliefs, he doesn't want a state religion smashing on you, telling you you have to believe what the state tells you to believe. 
And he he was a big champion of the fact that, and he said, every sect is free to believe as in and exercise its its belief system in America as it wants to. Now you have to understand something. In their day and age, sect is the same word as denomination today. So when he says every religion, he he'll he'll say in his writings, every sect, um, he means denomination of Christianity. He is not equating Islam and what they would call Mohammedism, Mahatmanism, or Hinduism, or Buddhism. He's not equating them with Christianity. He, he, I've never found anything where he did that. But today we read him and we think, well, religion, we're reading our modern understanding of the language into theirs. Big mistake, folks. Um, this, I see here, Mr. Holt. Mr. Holt says 100% on that statement. When I used to argue with Joe on Steve Nichols' show, I often quoted Madison's writings. So I take it, Mr. Holt, you've done a little bit more reading with Madison and you found out it's not quite as cut and dry as people used to, you know, people use Madison. They they misquote him. Now, I'm not saying he's a fan. Uh, he, he He's quite, Madison is virulently opposed to organized religions. But he's not against the Bible, and he is not against the belief in the Creator, and he's not against you having your own relationship with the Creator. That's the key right there. He wants everybody else to stay out of it. So let's take a look at some of the things Mr. Madison has said, and we'll discuss a few of them as we go along. These these memes I don't have cited. That I just borrow these memes from other people. But the ones, the the quotes that I have put together for you today, I have cited. So when we get to those, I'll they're they're fully annotated. This says knowledge will forever govern ignorance, and a people who mean to be their own governors must arm themselves with a power which knowledge gives. So what is he telling us? If you want to be a free and self-governing people, you're going to have to take the time to learn, learn properly, learn how to think, right reason. So he's telling us one of the founding principles of our country is an enlightened people. Now, that makes sense. He's coming out of the enlightenment, you know, the age of reason, you know, uh, Thomas Paine and everything. He's, he's in that era of history. And if you read Mr. Madison's writings, he is very bright. He's a the man's probably a genius. He's on par with Jefferson, although he, he puts Jefferson above himself. But that's because from everything I've read. Mr. Madison is a very humble man. He's also, from what I believe I remember, I didn't look this up for this class. If I'm remembering correctly, he's a diminutive man. He's 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 smaller in stature. And he was a frail child. And if I'm, if I'm remembering correctly, he was often prone to being sickly. But he was through what we would consider graduate, you know, uh, college. He had a four-year college degree before he was 18. He finished up primary school and went on to college and university. I mean, the man was highly educated quickly. So good thinker, and um, that's going to show in his writings. He he tends to value logic and reason. Here's another one of his comments here. He says, and this is about democracy. He says, a pure democracy, by which I mean a society consists of a small number of citizens who assembled and administered the government in person, can admit of no cure for the mischiefs of faction. A common passion or interest will, in almost every case, be felt by a majority of the whole. A communication and a concert result from the form of government itself. And there is nothing to check the inducement to sacrifice the weaker party 
or an obnoxious individual, hence it is that such a democracies have ever been spectacles of turbulence and contention, have ever been found incompatible with personal security or the rights of property, and have in general been as short in their lives as they have been violent in their deaths. See, I told you the man knows how to use his language. What's he talking about? What he's saying to us today is democracies suck. Because what's going to happen is if we have 100 people, as soon as I have 51 that decide the 49 need to be enslaved, they're going to be slaves. And they have no protection in their person or property or, or any of their freedoms. Or if we've got one person, if we have a John the Baptist standing up saying, it's illegal for you to be doing that, the majority will say, off with his head. And this is what happens in democracies, is factions. And what you'll fall down into is, is some form of tyranny. Um, so this is what he's, and he is vehemently opposed to democracy. Mr. Madison is one of the um, staunchest critics of the idea of democracy, our democracy. Um, and if you read him for any length of time, you're going to find out he is no friend of the modern day Democratic Party. Um, real quick here. Whoop, I can't get that to work. There we go. Sorry. Uh, I see the AI was trying to help me out. My bad, AI. <laughs> Holt answered me. He says, I, I don't have to read very long before I found quotes that were inconvenient for arguing my position. Yeah. But that doesn't mean, Mr. Mr. Holt, you can see if you've read Madison any any length of time, you see that he's hostile toward structured religion, especially the Catholic Church. And I would concur with him. So back to Mr. Madison again. Another meme. It says the purpose of the Constitution is to restrict the majority's ability to harm a minority. Now. What is he talking about there? Well, to harm the wealthy. What? Yes, 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 yes. Well, you got to remember, Mr. Madison comes from a wealthy family. He's an aristocrat, but he's very well reasoned and argued. So why he defends people of wealth, he will also defend people of lesser statute. He did have problems with slavery. Got it. I got it. Whether or not he's a hypocrite is not the point. The truth of his words are what we're focusing on. So what he's telling us here is if you're of a minority opinion, you, you shouldn't be silenced. So if you're a conspiracy theorist, the government has no business silencing you. Well, you're hurting everybody with your misinformation. No, I have the right to express my opinions. Even if I'm wrong, Madison will be a staunch defender of this. So it's, it's religious. If I want to be a Muslim, he's going to support my right to be a Muslim. He's going to disagree with me, but he's going to defend that so long as I don't trample on the rights of others in the process. So what he's telling us is our Constitution is not a democracy and was written and constructed such that democracy will never reign in the United States of America. This is Van Helsen putting the stake through the heart of Woodrow freaking Wilson's elected despotism at least this is what the founding fathers this he's the chief architect of the federalist papers that's the primary source of how um we should understand the constitution okay so he's telling us no democracy 
So when you hear people, or democracy, think anti-Americans, as we were founded. So Mr. Madison's a great help to us there. Also, it says, oppressors can tyrannize only when they achieve a standing army, an enslaved press, and a disarmed populace. Do we have a military-industrial complex? Yep, check. Do we have an enslaved press? Yep, check. The mainstream media is just a fancy euphemism for state-run propaganda mill. Have they disarmed the people? They're in the process. And now you know why they want our weapons. Because they can't oppress us without that doing that. <laughs> yeah, Mr. Holt says, ugh, we're two-thirds there. We're farther than that. They've taken the weapons away from a lot of people, and they've restricted what we can have. Remember, folks, you used to be able to have a machine gun. They didn't have a problem with that. Founding fathers didn't have a problem with that. People owned machine. People in their day and age owned cannons and battleships. Private citizens owned any weapon that the military could have. The, the founding fathers had no problem with that. Here's another quote. It says, no nation could preserve its freedom in the midst of continual warfare. How long have we been at war now in this country? Since 2011? No, since 2001? Yeah, 9-11. And even before. We've been at war every generation since uh, World War II. When the industrial military complex, oh, wait, wait a minute, that was set up before that. Smedley Butler, after World War I, told us they had already established it. So how can you stay safe if your nation is constantly at war? How can you stay free? Now you understand why the people who seek to take over this country seek the moral equivalent of war. That is a diplomat's equivalent of being a military general. A diplomat wants the moral equivalent of war because the diplomat doesn't have what it takes to be an actual soldier and go to war. These people think they can talk their way into victory rather than shoot their way into victory. So in my world, they're weaselly, but that's what they're after, moral equivalent of war so that the people will sacrifice and give their liberty over to the leaders or the military industrial complex, which will just shoot their way into dictatorship. All of this is about taking over the people's rights and liberties. And this is what Mr. Madison's warning us about. Here's another one. He says, of all enemies to public liberty, war is perhaps the most to be dreaded because it compromises and develops the germ of every other. In other words, every other dread. Okay. War is the parent of armies. And from these proceeds debt and taxes. And armies and debts and taxes are known instruments for bringing the many under the domination of the few. In war, too, the discretionary power of the executive is extended. You know, whenever there's a crisis, the president gets more power. Its influence in dealing out office honors and emoluments is multiplied. And all of the means of seducing the minds are added to those of subduing the, the force of the people. The same uh, malignant aspect of republicanism may be traced in the inequality of fortunes and the opportunities of fraud growing out of a state of war and in the degeneracy of manners and morals engendered by both. No nation could preserve its freedom in the midst of continual warfare. What's he telling us? 
It's telling us that if your country is always at war, you've always got a crisis, there's always an excuse for the government to encroach on your rights and liberties, to burden you with more taxes, always need more money, and the next thing you know, you're under the control of a despot. Well, now you know why we've been at war for so long. Not only do they get rich off of it, but you know the Patriot Act and this act and that act, and the next thing you know, you live in a in a surveillance state. And they're even going to use it to justify taking over the internet and doing away with money. They're going to use it for all sorts of things. Mr. Madison said the Constitution preserves the advantage of being armed, which Americans possess over the people of almost every other nation where the governments are afraid to trust the people with arms. In other words, the people, not the National Guard, the people. That's how he understood it. Mr. Madison also says there is an evil which ought to be guarded against in the indefinite accumulation of property from the capacity of holding it in perpetuity by corporations. The power of all corporations ought to be limited in this respect. The growing wealth acquired by them never fails to be a source of abuse. What's he saying? Several things. Corporations should not ever be allowed, should never be allowed to amass so much money that they become a government unto themselves or destructive to the administration of the government for the good of the people. Two, they should not be allowed to hold that money in perpetuity. No living trusts and no aristocracy of corporate elites. What, uh, when I was in sociology school back in 1993, 94, they called it the rise of the corporate elite, essentially kings and queens and, and nobility within corporate America. How, excuse me, how was that created? <laughs> Put your hashtag back up there, AI. Woodrow freaking Wilson. We've already read his essays. You're, we're going to have to go back and reread them. But he's the one who created this system using the Ivy League schools, and then you intermarry everybody to create this new aristocracy. Well, if you have the aristocracy intermarried throughout Hollywood in the media, in industry, and in government, you have just done, just like through the aristocracy, you've you've replaced the, the system of checks and balances and private-public differences that Madison never thought would happen. You've replaced it back with a nobility of a different sort. And he told us in some of his, his writings, the minute we have a nobility again, you'll lose your liberty. And thus we have. He saw a lot of these problems, but you have to remember a lot of his writing is in response to the anti-federalists who saw it more clearly than he did. This is from the Federalist Papers in 1788. It says, liberty may be endangered by the abuse of liberty as well as the abuses of power. This is what our classmate Jimmy Zinker is always telling us, licentiousness. This is the problem with our libertarian friends. Liberty can be endangered by the abuse of liberty, by libertarianism, where we all get to do whatever we want. Mr. Madison is very keen on the fact that we have to have a duty to each other. Uh, Mr. Spikes on the board says, you mean like the RNC and DNC? Yes, but more than that. Um, <laughs> Mr. Holt says, I have a hard time balancing my ideals of personal freedom with the government limiting personal wealth. 
See, now here's where if we do a careful reading of the founding fathers, notice what Madison's against, corporations. If you're a single individual and you can somehow manage as an individual, not as an owner of a corporation, but as a private, pro, uh, you know, a sole proprietor, if you can amass a fortune of a, a trillion dollars, so long as you don't use it against the people, I don't think the founding fathers would have a problem with that. But so far as I'm concerned, I've known in history, nobody's ever been able to amass huge amounts of wealth like that without the structure of a corporation. And don't forget, a king is technically the CEO of a corporation. So, yeah, that I understand, Mr. Holt. I got it. I'm with you on that. But that's an argument we need to have one day specifically. Mr. Madison also says, before any man can be considered as a member of civil society, he must be considered as a subject of the governor of the universe. See, this is one of those things that Mr. Holt said, you don't have to read very far before you run into some trouble. If Mr. Madison is an atheist or even a deist, he would have never written this because you have to be the subject of the governor of the universe, the creator. Well, that's not a deist's language. A deist says, well, he made it, wound the clock up and took off. So what does he care about you? He doesn't care anymore. No, 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 no. If you're the subject of a governor, that means you have to, you have to answer to the governor. You got rules to obey. So before you can be considered a member of civil society, you must be considered a subject of the governor of the universe. What do you think Mr. Madison would say about an atheist in civil society? Nah, ha, ha. logical extension, boys and girls. He would tell you that I should not consider an atheist to be a member of civil society. Hmm. See what I mean? Careful reading of Mr. Madison finds out that he's not the friend of the anti-Christians that people think they, that he is. And that's what you call cherry picking. They pick his words out of context. The real wonder is that so many difficulties should have been surmounted in the federal convention and surmounted with a unanimity almost as unprecedented as it must have been unexpected. It is impossible for any man of candor to reflect on this circumstance without partaking of the astonishment. It is impossible for the man of pious reflection not to perceive in it a finger of the almighty hand, which has been so frequently and signally extended to our relief in the critical stages of the revolution. What's Madison saying? You cannot look at the march to the road to Concord and to the writing and ratification of the Constitution, because this was written, this, this quote was written after the ratification. He says, you can't look at all of this and not see the hand of providence in it. That is a Christian phrase from his day. It refers to the God of the Bible. And when he says, the almighty hand, which has been extended so frequently and signally extended to our relief, that is not a deist's idea of God. That is a God who is involved, actively involved in the affairs of man. So Mr. Madison is not by definition, by his own confession and words, he's not a deist and he's not an atheist. So for those people who'd like to use Madison against Christianity and the Christian founding, he's not the ally you think he is. He says the accumulation of all powers, legislative, executive, and judiciary in the same hands 
whether of one, a few, or many, and whether hereditary, self-appointed, or elective, may justly be pronounced the very definition of tyranny. In other words, progressives, you are tyrants. Elected despotisms. Now, what we have now in our world today is an effective nobility. We have turned the governing apparatuses of our nation into a nobility. Mr. Madison would be vehemently opposed to the system we have today. And corporations, I've told you, the founders were hostile. Jefferson is even more hostile to corporations. This is, this is Jefferson. I put him in here so that you could see this. I hope we shall take warning from the example of England and crush in its birth the aristocracy of our moneyed corporations. Notice his language. The aristocracy of our moneyed corporations, which dare already to challenge our government to trial of strength and bid defiance to the laws of our country. And I sincerely believe that banking establishments are more dangerous than standing armies and that the principle of spending money to be paid for po by posterity under the name of funding is but a swindling future on a uh, futurity on a large scale. Why did I throw that in there? Because we're talking about Madison. Madison is anti-corporation. Oh my gosh, does Jefferson just eviscerate everything that's wrong with our country right now? Aristocracy, corporate elite, moneyed corporations, they will destroy our nation. They have. And since I believe that the banking establishment, well, there's the Rothschilds and the, you know, the, the creature from Jekyll Island or whatever. There's your banking. There's your NWO, your New World Order people. And then he says to spend money in such a way that our children have to pay it. He calls that theft on a large scale. He nailed it all with that one little meme right there. Coming on the board from Aaron Spikes, he says, this is one way in which we went wrong. We allowed for all forms of religion to abound in this country in the name of freedom of religion, but never understanding what ideas the country was actually founded on. Uh, be careful with that one, Mr. Spikes. Christianity will allow for that too. If you're following the teachings of the, of the carpenter, he'll allow for that. It's just that we didn't teach our children why we believe in the scriptures and how to be good disciples of the carpenter. That's where we go wrong. All right. This is where we're going to start with the quotes that I pulled for you. <clears throat> I'm, I'm not going to make memes of these. I'm just going to throw these up. And uh, I did try to make them all nice and pretty with parchment looking background. It says happily for America, happily, we trust for the whole human race. They pursued a new and more noble course. They accomplished a revolution which had no has no parallel in the annals of human history or human society. He's talking about the founding fathers. And he says, happily for America and happily he hopes for the whole of humanity. The founding fathers accomplished a revolution unlike any other in human history. This is Federalist number 14, which was published November 20th, 1787. This is what it means to call America an exceptional nation. We're not better per se and, you know, we're better than you and, you know, my dog's better than your dog, whatever. None of that crap. What he's saying is you're the exception to history. Go look up the meaning of the word exceptional exception to history. 
No other nation has ever done what we've done. Hmm. That should be, should be an indication in history that maybe you ought to pay attention to this. Because if you have eyes to see and ears to hear, that's prophecy. Not that that matters to anybody. Mr. Madison also tells us, as long as the reason of man continues fallible and he is at liberty to exercise it, different opinions will be formed. As long as the connection subsists between his reason and his self-love, his opinions and his passions will have a reciprocal influence on each other. Federalist 10, November 23, 1787. Now what's he saying? As long as we have reason we're and we're fallible, which we are, we're going to, and we have, we're free to exercise our reason. We're going to make mistakes and we're going to have difference of opinions. We're all going to look at the things that are available to us and we're all going to come up with different opinions. And as long as we're free to pursue, pursue our self love, well, then our reason is going to be opposed to our self love. Folks, it could be that Mr. Madison is just a good student of human nature, or it could be that he's read his Bible because that's exactly where that comes from. Remember the conversation we were having about what does it mean to be human? What Mr. Madison's telling you is the animal side is self-love. Reason is the side that's born above, but it's still fallible. So our reason is going to be what we, what Mr. Madison thinks is right. He's going to actually work against. So he'll be against the principles of slavery. No man can own another. And yet he kept his slaves. That makes him a hypocrite. Yes. But that doesn't mean he's wrong in what he says. And that's what's going on in this little passage right here. He's telling us that we might know what's best, but if we can't master the animal within, what we know will always be at odds with what we want to do. So, wisdom of the founding fathers. This is something else that you need to understand. Conscience is the most sacred of all property. Essay on property, March 29th, 1792. What's he saying here? Remember when I told you that the first principle of natural law is free will. Free will is conscience. They're the same thing. What you want to think, what you want to believe, that's your conscience. That's your free will. That comes even before life. You have property in it. And the author of the universe has said, that is the only thing that I will give you that I will voluntarily not touch is your free will, your conscience. And Mr. Madison holds it sacrosanct, and I concur with him in this regard. And if you read his suggestions for the First Amendment, that's what he's after. Not so much freedom of religion where you separate church and state in the way we've turned it into, but freedom of conscience. Well, if he's for freedom of conscience, which is a resounding theme in his writings, conscience, conscience, conscience. Well, how the heck can you tell me that a president who's a devoutly religious man has to separate his conscience from his duties as president? Madison would have never allowed for that. So the idea of separation of church and state the way we see it, Madison would have been opposed to that as well. He would have just been opposed to you enforcing your conscience over that of another. 
And he says, enlightened statesmen will not always be at the helm. Federalist number 10, November 23, 1787. Oh, brother, is that true? But this is why he tried to put the structure of the Constitution in place so that it tied men down. What did Obama say? Well, I'd like to do all these things as president, but unfortunately, we got this thing called Constitution that ties my hands, which is exactly what Woodrow freaking Wilson was upset with. This is part of the genius of the American system is that the system was constructed to get in the way of tyrants, and it does its job very well. So, yes, Mr. Madison was correct about this as well. Another one of his quotes. As a man is said to have a right in his property, he may be equally said to have a property in his rights. Where an excess of power prevails, property of no sort is duly respected. No man is safe in his opinions, his person, his faculties, or his possessions. National Gazette essay, March 27, 1792. Now, what's he talking about? It says you have a right to your property, but you also have property in your rights. You, you can claim them. Your rights are property, and you have a right to property. He's saying you have a your your opinions are property. Your person, your body is property. Your faculties, your will is property. And you have a right to it. Well, if the government decides that you don't have a right to speak your free mind, it's trampling your property and your natural law, your rights. If it tells you that you've got to be a slave, it's trampled the right to your free will, to your life, to your body to your labor. You see, this is where Madison lived at odds with what he said. Well, well, that's what we were just talking about. His passions overruled his logic in a lot of cases. Well, he's human being, right? We all are. We should learn from this. But what he's telling us is the government we have today is tyrannical. Because you have to protect the rich man's property as equally as you do the poor. So you cannot tax the rich man at 90% and the poor man at nothing and then actually take some of the rich man's money and give it to the poor man because now you are favoring one man over another and you're trampling his property, his industry, his very life force, his will, his conscience. It's against natural law. It's against the law of the universe. And Madison is quite adamant about that. He's very eloquent in his, his protection of this. Also from his essay on property, government is instituted to protect property of every sort. Remember what he just said, your rights are property. As well that which lies in the various rights of individuals as that which the term particularly expresses. This being the end of government, the purpose, that alone is a just government which impartially secures to every man whatever is his own. So if you earned it, if I earn a million dollars and somebody else, through whatever reason, sloth or happenstance, lives in poverty, the government is, if it's a just government, it must impartially protect what I have against what the other does not have. The government is to be emotionless in this aspect. 
justice is supposed to be blind and without a heart. Mercy is not an emotion. Compassion is. Mercy is not. It is not for justice, true justice, to think with the heart. That is self-interest. And Jefferson told us, I mean, not Jefferson, Madison has already told us that the mind, the reason, is prone to error, especially when it comes in conflict with self-interest. Coming on the board for Mr. Holt, where his very arguments and opinions used as arguments for ending slavery later in nation's history, yes, it's primarily with Jefferson, because a lot of, a lot of, got to remember, Madison and Jefferson are best buddies, man. Those two are tight. Um, so it's not so much Madison who ends slavery. It's, it's Jefferson, but a lot of what Jefferson says, you'll find it echoed in Madison's writings. And I have to think that if you get really deep into it, you're going to find their letters back and forth to each other are, uh, they're simpatico. They, they help each other with their own thinking. So yeah, Madison is, he's, he's involved in that. He's wrapped up in it, whether directly or indirectly, he's still wrapped up in it. But Jefferson is, you know, the one who's, oh, he's a slave owner. He's primarily the impetus for getting rid of slavery. That That's the quote on the Jefferson monument, monument about, you know, I tremble for my country because God is just and his wrath will not be held forever. He's talking about the this perils or the evil of slavery that his generation allowed. He knew that the Civil War was coming. If you read his writings, Jefferson knew the war was coming, and he knew it was over slavery. The three-fifths clause was put in the Constitution specifically to force the Civil War. So for people who don't do the research in the Constitution, they're ignorant. And I, I just mean they don't know. Not stupid. They don't know. They don't understand that the things that they think, well, the founders didn't think slaves were a full person. No, that's not what it was about. It was about representation, which guaranteed that the North would eventually outvote the South. And the South would have to come to grips with slavery. It was a time bomb built into the Constitution, and it was brilliant. And Frederick Douglass recognized this, the freed slave. He said it was a brilliant document. And he said it was anti-slavery. That's because that man did what most people won't do. He stopped to read the document on its own terms and research why it was written the way it was done. It's kind of like if you read the Bible on its own terms, you come away with something other than modern-day Christianity. From Federalist number 42, January 22, 1788. uh, Madison says, but the mild voice of reason pleading the cause of an enlarged and permanent interest is but too often drowned before public bodies as well as individuals by the clamors of an impatient avidity for immediate in in a moderate gain. What? (laughs) Like I said, you have to be able to translate the founders. What he's saying is the mild voice of reason, those who speak reasonable, rationally of higher minded things. They'll plead the cause of permanent interest of the future, but their voice will be drowned out by those who, I need the money now. Give it to me now. We got to act now. We can't do all this deliberations. The emergency, the crisis, got to go now. Crisis, crisis, now, now. Woodrow freaking Wilson. Again, whatever spirit had hold of Wilson and has hold of progressives that think we've got to act now, that's what Madison is becrying here. He's saying reason says go slow and deliberate. Passion. This is, again, another way of saying that the rational mind will be drowned out by the self-interest of the animal. 
in a society under the forms of which the stronger faction can readily unite and oppress the weaker, anarchy may as truly be said to reign as in a state of nature. Federalist number 52, 1788. All right, what's he talking about here? Well, he doesn't say the majority. He says the stronger faction. So if the mainstream media can shout you down and cancel you because you have no voice, you're going to oppress the weaker, the one who doesn't have equal voice, and anarchy will reign. In other words, we exist in the in a society that he's calling anarchy. And this also applies to democracy. So if you can vote down the minority, anarchy reigns. Sign this 2,800-page, $1.7 trillion document now. You can read it later exactly. The now, now, now. Got to go now. Yep, that's talking about a previous quote. Now, Mr. Madison's going to sound an awful lot like John Adams here. If men were angels, no government would be necessary. If angels were to govern men, neither external nor internal controls on government would be necessary. In framing a government which is to be administered by men over men, the great difficulty lies in this. You must first enable the government to control the governed and in the next place, oblige it to control itself. We no longer have people in government who care to control themselves. What he's telling us is there is nothing that can control the avarice of man. The passions of our heart will go right through the law, the Constitution, like a whale through a net. This is Federalist 51, February 8, 1788. And he's basically telling us that if the human animal was allowed to rule, anarchy and tyranny reign. It is only when the impassioned reason of man under the control of the governor of the universe, when the reason of man, guided by the governor of the universe, is in the control of society, that you'll have liberty. Can you not see where that's put together in Madison's writing? Before you can be a member of civil society, you must be a member of the governor of the universe. You must be a citizen of that governor. And he's already told us that when reason butts up against passion, passion usually wins. And even when we do reason, we're going to be prone to error in our opinions, errors in our reasoning. So we need to be guided by the governor of the universe. And that's what makes for civil society. It doesn't take a whole lot of noodling to put Madison's words together and come up with that thinking. And if you read enough Madison, you'll start realizing that's pretty much where this man sits. Coming up on the break soon. A just security to property is not afforded by, the, by that government under which unequal taxes oppress one species of property and reward another species. Essay on property. Now, what's he talking about here? Say, well, I'm going to tax income, but not wealth. Oh. You see the difference. Income is your labor. Wealth is the money you amass through your labor. If I tax wealth, 
well, that can get in the way of accumulating more wealth. But if I tax labor, that gets in the way of you being able to live. So why do they tax labor instead of wealth? Uh, because we're not a just system anymore. Period. Madison had that figured out. Don't forget, he comes from a wealthy family. He says, no political truth is certain, um, no political truth is certainly of greater intrinsic value or is stamped with the authority of more enlightened patrons of liberty than that on which the objection is founded. The accumulation of all powers, legislative, executive, and the judiciary in the same hands, whether one, few, or many, or oh, we've read this one already, I'm sorry. We've read that one. That was Federalist. I've had that in the meme. So, you know, Federalist 48, 1788. Next quote here. It will be of little avail to the people that the laws are made by men of their own choice. If the laws be so voluminous that they cannot be read or so incoherent that they cannot be understood, if they be repealed or revised before they are promulgated or undergo such incessant changes that no man who knows what the law is today can guess what it'll be tomorrow. Law is defined to be a rule of action, but how can that be a rule which is little known and less fixed? OMG, did you hear what he just said? Mr. Holt, you were ahead of the classroom. Sign this 2,800-page bill. Then we can find out what it says. Well, what? Mr. Madison is telling us that if you have a country, if you have a government that publishes the bills, it does no good if those bills, there's so many of them. Remember the tax code now is how tall? It says that's no good. That's a form of tyranny is what he's telling us. Or if when I read it, you can't make sense out of it. Lawyer speak. If you've read the Constitution, it's not written in lawyer speak. If you read the Declaration of Independence, it's not written in lawyer speak. It's written in plain English for the common man and woman to read it. All our bills ought to be written that way. Everything supposed to be it's supposed to be easy to read and understand it's supposed to be such that it doesn't constantly undergo changes since we've started the bureaucracy thank you to woodrow freaking wilson there you go again ai we're gonna flood the world with that one thanks to him and what he and his people started the bureaucracies are changing the laws faster than anybody can keep up with them which means the government doesn't even know what the law is anymore and what's that lead to it leads to a position where we're at today, a, a situation where we're at today that any one of us is guilty of, I think the man once did a book on this. We're guilty of being, of violating three felonies every day, at least three. Each and every one of us on a daily basis, we violate at least three felonies. Whether we want to or not, we don't have a choice. And in his book, some of the laws are written such that if you don't break one, you break the other. But if you decide not to break that one, you break the other one. It's catch 22. And it's almost as this, though this stuff has, not by the plan of actual human beings, but by some other force, has led human beings to write the laws in such a way that we're all screwed no matter what we do. It's chaos and it's anarchy. It's a tyranny of itself. We have devolved into the government that Madison was telling us we must never allow. This is in the Federalist Papers. This is how the federal government's supposed to operate. And what he's writing about is not this way. Clear, small bills. You know that the law that was signed by Eisenhower to construct the interstate highway system, 
Anybody got any idea how many pages it was? The the bill to construct the interstate highway system, you know, I-10, I-75, whatever. Does anybody have any idea how many pages it was? If memory serves, it was 26 pages long. 26. How long do you think that bill would be today? And do you think it would deal just with construction interstate highway service? Or do you think we'd have something in there about, oh, I don't know, I got to study the mating habits of the African uh, elephant toenail uh, parasite mite fungus or something or other. You know, $100,000 for that. We have perverted the system of government our founding fathers gave us to the point where it no longer is recognizable. And all we have to do is read Madison, primary author of the Federalist Papers. We're going to go to break, six-minute break. We'll take care of the break. And then when we come back, I want to read some more of Madison's words for you. And I've got some of the better ones saved for last. Um, These are hard-hitting. These are... These are ugly to modern-day politicians, Republicans and Democrats alike. So y'all do what you got to do, but make sure you get back in your seats. Don't don't dismiss this stuff. Yo, Joe, you're just reading quotes. I could look those up for myself. Yeah, but you don't. Let's get back to this. Let's not not let this go because you're not going to find Madison's words. The only thing you're going to find in your history books today, if you go looking, or on your websites, most of them, the only thing you're going to find here is him bashing religion and Christianity, and then it's going to be taken out of context, meaning that it's fallacious. Let's meet Mr. Madison and let's continue meeting him. We'll see you in six minutes.
that music reminds me of Disney. You know, um, in Orlando, there's a, the Buzz Lightyear ride. When you're waiting to get on, they've got music that sounds a lot like that. Like I'm on my way to go fight the evil Emperor Zerd or whatever. <laughs> anyway, it will be a cosmic galactic hero. Mr. Madison, let's just get right back in it, boys and girls. Um, there is no maxim, in my opinion, which is more liable to be misapplied and which, therefore, more needs elucidation that the current that than the current that is the interest of the majority is political standard of right and wrong. Okay, Joe, you butchered that. What the heck's he saying? All right, let me explain this one for you. There's nothing in his opinion that's more likely to error than the idea that the the opinion of the majority is right. What? In other words, democracy usually leads to the wrong decisions. That's basically what he's telling us. He's saying there, there's no principle in his opinion, which is more likely to be abused or misapplied. And therefore it needs the most, you know, the most discussion, the principle that the, the interest of the majority or the will of the majority is a political standard of right and wrong. So when Will Woodrow Wilson's saying, well, we got to have elected dictators who know that the will of the people and then they do what the will of the people is. No, 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 no. That's not the, it, this is the, Madison's right here. This, this quote here, um, this is a letter to James Monroe on uh, 5th October, 1786. This is a direct refutation to democracy and to the progressive ideology. This is a direct refutation to the will of the majority should prevail. And that's what, that's what government should be doing. Direct refutation to that. So strong words, but written in a way that most of us today wouldn't be able to read. It says democracies have ever been spectacles of turbulence and contention have ever been found incompatible with personal security or the rights of property and have in general as been short in their lives as they've been violent in their deaths. He's telling us here that democracies will trample the rights of the individual. He's all about rights. That's what Madison is about, your rights and your property and your rights. Um, comment on the board from Mr. Holt. Majority opinion is what led to Christ's crucifixion. How could so many people be wrong, though? Correct, right? Exactly. That's exactly what happened. Yes, that is exactly what happened. The, the people were offered a choice. You can have the carpenter or you can have the murderer and the revolutionary or, you know, Barabbas or whatever the heck. And what did they want? Give me the, the murdering revolutionary, the, the robber. Passions over logic. That's what Madison's telling us. This is a, I love this quote. This is from Federalist 55, published uh, February 15th, 1788. It said, had every Athenian citizen been a Socrates, every Athenian assembly would have still been a mob. What if every person in Athens had been as wise as Socrates, as philosophical, then every time they got together to debate an issue would have still been a mob. And why go back to what Madison told us? We're all going to have our own opinions. Now, how well you reason depends on where your opinion is. This is why I tell you that right reasoning 
not correct, not politically right, not that type of right, but the proper application of the rules of logic, the natural law of logic and reason, the proper application will lead you into always, we will all end up in the same arena, the same stadium. Now, that does not mean that we're all going to end up in the same section of bleachers or on the same row of the bleachers or the same chair. That's our differences of opinions and how much of our passions skew us. But if we are using right, re- the, the closer we get, the better we are at applying the rules of reason. And, and the more general information we have, remember what Madison told us, you're going to need knowledge if you want to be free, you know, free governing, free people, self-governing people. So the broader my knowledge base and the better I am at using reason, the closer and closer we're all going to get to the same section, same row, and same chair on the bleachers. That is because objective truth does exist. It's just hard for the average person to find it. But as you learn more information, you have more pieces of the puzzle, and you learn how to better sort them, logic and reason, we all end up coming together for this pretty much the same opinions, which is how the founding fathers ended up pulling off the miracle that they did. Mr. Madison says term of the Senate, 26 June, 1787 landholders ought to have a share in the government to support these invaluable interests and check the other many. They ought to be so uh, constituted as to protect the minority of the opulent against the majority. What did he just say? The rich should have a hand in the government to protect themselves against the people who want to take their money. What? what? Yes. Read this again. Landholders, which in his day, those are the richest ones. Think corporate holders now. Corporation, owners of corporations. They ought to have a share in the government. This is the senators. This is what the senators were. They support these invaluable interests. Are you saying the rich people are invaluable? Yes, he is. Because he recognizes they are a crucial part of any functioning society. And they need to be a check against the bewildering herd that wants to feed at their trough on their behalf. And they ought to be constituted as to, in a way that protects the minority of the opulent against the majority. This is what the Senate was supposed to be. The Senate represented the state. The state chose the senators. Woodrow freaking Wilson and the progressives. You don't have to put that up there anymore, AI. We've got enough of that. Aww. I know you live for that, but he, his people made it to where we vote for our senators. Now the state should still be electing them. And those people were usually landowner or the more wealthy members of the state. They were there to represent those interests. The people are always going to be at odds with the rich. And that was meant to put the two against each other. Now they're not. Now now the senators represent the people too. That is consolidation of power in a group of hands that will use it as democracy. This is all, everything you see in the progressive movement is meant to, to undermine and subvert the Constitution the way Madison saw it being worked. And remember, he's the primary author of the, of the Federalist Papers, and that's the understanding that was ratified. So in his essay on property, in 1792, Madison says, a just security to property is not afforded by the government under which unequal taxes oppress one species of property. We already read that one. The essence of government is power, and power, lodged as it must be in human hands, will ever be liable to abuse. This is a speech in Virginia Convention, uh, 2 December 1829. What he's telling us, remember, 
well, we got to trust the government. Government will take care of it. The government is power in the hands of human beings, which means it'll always be abused. Where do we get this idea that just because the government's doing it, somehow it'll be better than a corporation doing it? And Madison's telling us, if you think that, you're back crap crazy. And yet the progressives always think that, that they're angels. That's what the implication is of every secular humanist, that they are angels, that that the secular humanist and, and it's their allies are somehow immune from this. Well, let me explain how that works. The essence of government is power. Yes, that's why these people seek it. They're power hungry. And power, lodged as it must be in human hands, will ever be liable to abuse. So if a progressive is immune from abuse, are they human? Not according to Madison. So if the progressive thinks that they cannot abuse their power and authority and they can't do any wrong, what must they think they are? At the very least, the angels that the founding fathers couldn't find. It's just logic, folks. From Federalist number 51, February 8, 1788, ambition must be made to counteract ambition. This is checks and balances. The interest of the man must be connected with the constitutional rights of the place. It may be a reflection on human nature that such devices should be necessary to control the abuses of government. What is government itself but the greatest of all reflections on human nature? What's Madison talking about? He's saying construct the government with the knowledge of human nature so that the structure of the government serves to force proper function of government in spite of human nature. He's trying to use the structure of the government to hold back the desires of evil men. And to a large part, the only reason we still exist here as a nation today is how effective those men were, the genius of what they did. And that's what he's talking about here. Pay attention to human nature. Now, once again, does the progressive, the secular humanist, ever pay attention to human nature? Oh, well, everybody can have the same amount of money. We're all... No, no. Marx himself is a freaking madman because he envisions a humanity that does not and cannot exist in the world as we know it unless it's been remade. And the progressive says they're going to bring heaven on earth and man's going to make heaven on earth. If man could make heaven on earth, man would be God. These people are always telling you by default, the way they argue and the way they reason, they think they're gods. Madison acknowledges this. He doesn't say it in that language, but that's inherent in what he's telling us. So here from a speech of the Virginia Ratifying Convention, June 16, 1788. Since the general civilization of mankind, I believe there are more instances of the abridgment of freedoms on the people by gradual and silent encroachment of those in power than by violent and sudden usurpations. In other words, I believe that tyranny comes more by progressivism than by revolution, which is the primary difference between the fascist and the communist. What, what Joe? The primary difference between the fascist and the communist is that the fascist goes slower and the communist wants to do it all at once. Other than that, there ain't a whole lot of difference. They always end up at the same place. Madison is saying that before those words even existed, before they were coined. 
Federalist 55, February 15th, 1788. As there is a degree of depravity in mankind, which requires a certain degree of circumspection and distrust, so there are other qualities in human nature which justify a certain portion of esteem and confidence. Republican government presupposes the existence of these qualities in a higher degree than any other form. Were the pictures which have been drawn by the political jealousy of some amongst us faithful likenesses of the human character, the inference would be that there is no sufficient virtue among men for self-government, and that nothing less than the chains of despotism can restrain them from destroying and devouring one another. Okay, what is he saying? What he's saying is man is depraved. But he's saying that there are also some good things in mankind. That's the animal and the spark of the divine. The born, born from above, born again, versus the human animal man. Now he's saying Republican government assumes both exist. That's that's the quote we were just reading about right here, okay? Man is is part animal, part beast. You know, you gotta you gotta construct the government in a way that deals with with the reality of human nature. Now he says we're humanity the way that some amongst us, jealous amongst us, paint mankind. He's talking about the anti-federalists here. If you're not reading both the federalists and the anti-federalists side by side, you won't understand this. But he's re, he's re, replying to Gubernator Morris and Patrick Henry here, who thought man was totally depraved. They're they're Calvinistic in their thinking, and he says if it were true, then it would require total despotism to keep man in check. You'd have to have a tyranny to keep man in check. Well, folks, that's exactly what Bible says in Romans thirteen, Book of Romans chapter thirteen. That's what it says. If you do not have a moral and virtuous people who voluntarily follow the, the, the governor of the universe, then the governor of the universe is going to give you a tyrant to keep you in check. That's you get the government you deserve. That's in the Bible. So this is a case of where Madison was wrong. Patrick Henry and Gubernator Morris knew what they were saying. Madison is giving too much credit to human reason and human goodness. And this is one of the reasons they went wrong But in his defense, I understand what he's saying. Here's in a letter to Henry Lee, June 25th, 1824. I entirely concur in the propriety of resorting to the sense in which the Constitution was accepted and ratified by the nation. In that sense alone, it is the legitimate Constitution. And if that is not the guide in expounding it, there may be no security. In other words, original intent as explained by the Federalist Papers and the debate notes on the Bill of Rights and the the Declaration of Independence. And you can get, you want to know what the Constitution means? You read Madison's notes. It says, on the distinctive principles of government of the United States, the best guides are to be found in the Declaration of Independence as the fundamental act of union of these states. It's a letter to Thomas Jefferson. So basically he's saying, you wrote the best guide for how to interpret the Constitution. Like I said, they were good friends. Each state, in ratifying the Constitution, is considered as a sovereign body, independent of all others, and only to be bound by its own voluntary act. In this relation, then, the new Constitution will, if established, be a federal 
and not a national constitution. James Madison, Federalist number 39, January 1788. In other words, what he's telling us is we don't have a national government. We have a federal government. It governs the states. It does not govern the people. It says, I acknowledge in the ordinary course of government that the exposition of the laws of the Constitution devolves upon the judiciary. But I beg to know upon what principle it can be contended that any one department draws from the Constitution greater powers than another in marking out the limits and the powers of the several departments. James Madison, speech in the Congress of the United States, June 17, 1789. In other words, who told, where's the Constitution say that the court can tell the president or the Congress what to do? Or where can Congress tell the court or the president? Or where can the president tell the Congress or the court what to do? They're equal. Well, we no longer treat it that way. The judiciary has become the supreme law of the land in this country, exactly like Jefferson said it would be. And that's that was the, where did the progressives go to, to overthrow us? They went to the courts. It was the weakest link, just like Jefferson said it was. Madison didn't see it because he, he, one of the problems Madison has, folks, is he's a little naive. He says, well, this is real clear. The language is easy. We, we don't have to worry about the problems the anti-federalists are bringing up because the American people are good and they're, they're rational. They're never going to do this. In his own writings, he says human nature says it's going to happen, but he's naive. He believes in the perfectibility of man just a little bit too much. Needed to spend a little bit more time in his pew, I think. Nothing has yet been offered to invalidate the doctrine that the meaning of the Constitution may as well be ascertained by the legislative as by the judiciary authority. Speech in Congress of the United States, June 18, 1789. Meaning what? Meaning Congress has equal authority to determine what is and is not constitutional as does the judiciary, which would mean then so does the president too. So how's that work for us today? It basically means if the court says Biden's right, the state of Texas doesn't have the right to defend its own border. So the court and the president both say the same thing. Congress can say you're both wrong. Now they've been outvoted two to one, but that's irrelevant. Congress can still tell them you're both wrong. It doesn't matter what the court says. The court has no authority over legislation. It can only say yay or nay to whether or not it's constitutional. It can't even turn around and tell the president whether it has to or can't enforce the law at that point. The court can say that's unconstitutional. The president can say, yeah, I think it is. It's constitutional, so screw you. So technically, had we not been progressivized when Roe v. Wade was passed, had we had a president who was loyal to the Constitution, they would have said, heck on you. Any state that authorizes this, I'm coming to get you. A violation of the right of life. So, well, the court said, I don't care what the court said. I disagree with them. So then you'd have had to kick that def- legislation in the, in, the, in the Congress, which would have never gotten passed, which is why the progressives went to the courts. They used the court to make law, which is a perversion of the Constitution. James Madison, Federalist Number 45, January 26, 1788. The powers delegated by the proposed Constitution to the federal government are few and defined. Those which are to remain in the state's governments are numerous and indefinite. In other words, the federal government is itsy-bitsy, and it can only do that which was specifically stated in the Constitution. 
So it says the House of Representatives can make no law which will not have its full operation on themselves and their friends, as well as the great mass of society. This has always been deemed one of the strongest bonds by which human policy can connect the rulers and the people together. It creates between them that communion of interest and sympathy of sentiment of which few governments have furnished uh, uh, furnished examples, but without which every government degenerates into tyranny. Federalist 57, February 19th, 1788. What is he saying? He's saying Congress can never exempt themselves from the laws they pass, and yet they do that as a matter of habit today. They exempt themselves and their friends. They have a law for thee and a law for them. Uh, you understand now why I say Mr. Madison was a little on the naive side? He never thought that this would be allowed by the people or the Senate or the states. And yet it is a matter of course in, in Washington, D.C. now. They do. If you go look, you will find certain certain bills. They specifically exempt themselves. That's unconstitutional. Not my opinion, Mr. Madison's. He only argued for the Constitution the way it's supposed to be understood. But thankfully, we interpret the Constitution today the progressive way, which means, like, like Mr. Holt was pointing out on the board earlier, language can mean whatever the heck we want it to from day to day. It says, if Congress can do whatever in the discretion it can, can be done by money, and will promote the general welfare, the government is no longer a limited one, possessing enumerated powers, but an indefinite one, subject to particular exceptions. James Madison, letter to Edmund Pendleton, January 21, 1792. In other words, the government we have today is not constitutional because it does whatever the heck it wants to do. Madison was, again, naive. He thought it was very clear. Look, man, it can only touch these things. It can't touch everything else. You people don't have to worry. Again, anti-federalists proved correct. He's not wrong. If we had people who were rational, He's not wrong. The Constitution does not allow things that are happening today. But he was too generous in the good of man. He saw too much good in man, even though he wrote to the contrary. He didn't practice what he preached. Was it to be constru uh, um, was it to be the consequence in the case that Congress shall misconstrue this part? He's talking about the necessary and proper clause. This part of the Constitution and exercise power not warranted by its true meaning. I answer the same as if they should misconstrue or enlarge any pow other power vested in them. The success of the usurpation will depend on the executive and the judiciary departments, which are to expound and give effect to the legislative acts. And in large resort, a remedy must be obtained from the people who can, by elections of more faithful representatives, annul the acts of the usurpers. Federalist 44, January 25th, 1788. But what, what he's saying is if Congress goes overboard, the president and the uh, judges will put him in place, and then eventually, if that doesn't work, the people will by their vote. He is assuming that they have found angels to run this country. It's not going to work that way, and this is how Wilson was attacking. He got around the structure by nationalizing the people in government so that they all thought of one mind. Mr. Keeley on the board says the law against employee polygraph testing is a prime example of where governments exempt themselves from what they impose uh, upon employers. Yep, yep. It's going back to a previous quote. So what the Fed, what the progressives have done here is through a couple of generations of education, they've put an elite group of Americans together 
American citizens that they go into Hollywood and into industry and into government that have the like mindset. So it doesn't matter if you're in the executive, the legislative, or the judiciary, you have a like mindset. So you will not put any one of them in check because you agree with what they're doing. And the people then are not allowed to vote somebody new in because they control who you vote for through the two-party system. Nobody, nobody, not even Trump, gets to run for the, the Republican Party's presidential candidate unless the Republican Party approves it. It is, after all, a corporation. And if you're running as their candidate, they did approve you. They can get rid of you if they want. It's legal. It might destroy the party, but they can do it. So you don't get to run unless they want you to, which is why a great many people never make it even into the primaries. James Madison to a letter to James Robertson, James Robertson Jr. on 20 April 1831. He says, with respect to the words general welfare, I have always regarded them as qualified by the detail of powers connected with them. To take them in a literal and unlimited sense would be a metamorphosis of the Constitution into a charter where there is a, a host of proofs was not contemplated by the creators. Uh, Mr. Madison, you're being naive again. What he's saying is if you read the Constitution the way the progressives do, there's no checks and balances on you at all. Well, congratulations. That's why progressives read the language that way. Mr. Madison never envisioned a day where we would bastardize and and destroy the English language. But here again, the government of the United States is definitive government confined to specific specified objects. It is not like the state governments whose powers are more general. Charity is not part of the legislative duty of the government. Speech in the House of Representatives, January 10, 1794. Now, he's not talking just about federal, although that's where he's talking. But he says it's not even part of a state government. Shouldn't be. But what he tells you here is the federal government's limited. State governments, not so much. They have a lot more power. It is very certain that the Commerce Clause grew out of the abuse of power by importing states, by the importing states, states that import, in taxing the non-importing, and was intended as a negative and preventative provision against injustice among the states themselves, rather than as a power to be used for positive purposes of the general government. Letter to Joseph C. Cabell, 13 February, 1829. What's he talking about? The Commerce Clause was put in place to keep the states that import from abusing the states that don't. And it has now been turned around and used as a weapon to give government access to anything and everything in your life, including governing commerce that does not happen. What? Yes. The case that allows the government to get its hand into just about everything was done by FDR when a guy didn't make wheat for interstate sale and therefore affected interstate commerce. So the court said that the government can control that which does not exist and has not happened because it didn't exist and didn't happen. Folks, you need to understand something. By that level of thinking, you didn't do what the government wanted you to do. You didn't make enough of these widgets that you could have made. So therefore, I get to come in and tax you and do whatever I want because otherwise you could have made the widgets which we wanted you to make and you would have sold them. Yeah, that type of insanity. That's where we're at. Mr. Madison never envisioned that. Says so if Congress comment on the board from Mr. Holt, I believe that one reason for believing that the rich deserve by their existence a seat at the legislative table was to guard against a specter of bribery. Yes, that's one. Yes. 
If Congress can employ money indefinitely to the general welfare and are the sole supreme judges of the general welfare, they may take the care of religion into their own hands. They may appoint teachers in every state, county, and parish and pay them out of the public treasury. They may take into their own hands the education of children, establishing in like manner schools throughout the union. They may assume the provision of the poor. They may undertake the regulation of all roads other than post roads. In short, everything from the highest object of state legislation down to the most minute object of police would be thrown under the power of Congress. Were the power of Congress to be established in the latitude contended for, it would subvert the very foundations and trans transmute the nature and the limited government established by the people of America. Marks of the House floor debates on uh, cod fishery bill, February 1792. In other words, everything the progressives have done, Madison has said is unconstitutional. Why do the courts have such a hard time with this? It's right there. It's in our records. He's telling us Congress cannot employ money forever for everything. And in this, he's notice how he's saying this in the negative. They're not allowed to get involved in education, and yet they have. They're not supposed to get involved in welfare, and yes, they have. They're not supposed to get involved in making anything other than postal roads, and yet they do. They don't have those authorities under the enumerated powers. Madison's like, this is so simple and easy. It's right there in black and white. He never imagined the progressive mindset. And he should have, because his own writings say it was going to happen. Refusing or not refusing to execute a law to stamp it with the final character makes the Judiciary Department paramount, in fact, to the legislature, which was never intended and can never be proper. Letter to John Brown, October 1788. In other words, a law can't be put into place unless the Supreme Court says so. And then only the way the Supreme Court says it can be done. That makes them the legislature, which is exactly why the progressives went after the court. Comment by Mr. Keeley on the board is charity and teaching are the jobs of the church and the people. Correct, Mr. Keeley. An elective despotism was uh, not the government we fought for, but one in which the powers of government should be so divided and balanced among the several bodies of magistrate as that no one can transcend their legal limits without being effectively checked and restrained by the others. Federalist 58, 1788. In other words, a divided you know, division of powers, representative government. Well, what happened is the progressives just nationalized the people. They made a cult of progressives and took over everything all at once. All power is originally vested in and consequently derived from the people. That government is instituted and ought to be exercised for the benefit of the people, which consists in the enjoyment of life and liberty and the right of acquiring property and generally of pursuing and obtaining happiness and safety that the people have an indutable, unalienable, and indefeasible right to reform and change their government whenever it is found adverse or inadequate to the purposes of its institutions. Annals of Congress, House of Representatives, First Congress, First Session, June 8, 1789. In other words, right of secession. That's the right of secession. I thought we didn't have that. Well, no, Joe, that's just the right to change the government. What the heck do you think secession is? Uh-huh. So, about yesterday's show. <laughs> yes. <laughs> A dependence on the people is, no doubt, the primary control on the government. But experience has taught mankind the necessity of auxiliary precautions. Federalist 51. February 8th, 1788. In other words, if we don't stay a moral and just people, the government will get out of hand. 
And because we're not going to stay moral and just, we need to put physical barriers into the government. He was right about that. To the extent that they succeeded, that's the extent which we still remain today. And here again, if men were angels, no government would be necessary. If angels were to govern men, neither external nor internal controls of the government would be necessary. We've already read this one. If it be asked, what is to restrain the House of Representatives from making legal discrimination in favor of themselves and a particular class of society? I answer, the genius of the whole system, the nature of just and constitutional laws, and above all, the vigilant and mainly spirit which manly spirit which actuates the people of America, a spirit which nourishes freedom and in return is nourished by it. Federalist 57, February 19th, 1788. In other words, the manly, the vigilant manly spirit. Oh boy. Why do you think they wanted women to vote? I'm sorry, ladies. Madison has hit on something here. It's human nature. It's laws of nature. There are differences between us as men and women. Men can, as a whole, especially in a masculine, manly society, do things that women are not equipped to do, and you shouldn't be. Because if you ladies who civilize us men, if you become men, then there's nobody to civilize us. And the sociologist in me could really get ourselves banned with it real fast, struck everywhere if I were to run with this one right now. But this is what's at the heart of feminism in the feminist movement. It attacks this. You feminize the society, then the people will no longer be vigilant and manly enough to push back against the usurpations of your, your liberties. So whether or not the people realize what they were doing, the spirit behind the feminist movement, the suffragette, that spirit knew exactly what it was doing. And whether or not Mr. Madison understood this, he at least knew the principle because he said, above all, the vigilant and manly spirit, which actuates the people of America, no longer toxic masculinity. It's got nothing to do with our society anymore, and we pay the price for it. Comment on the board from Mr. Keeley. There is both secession and nullification. Texas is already in the territory of null. Yes, it is. Mr. Madison's, but but I go on, uh, but I go on this great Republican principle that the people will have virtue and intelligence to select men of virtue and wisdom. Is there no virtue among us? If there be not, we are in a wretched situation. No theoretical checks, no form of government can render us secure. To suppose that any form of government will secure liberty or happiness without any virtue in the people is a chimerical idea. In other words, a perversion of, of reality. If there be sufficient virtue and intelligence in the community, it will be exercised in the selection of these men so that we do not depend on their virtue or put confidence in our rulers, but in the people who are to choose them. Judicial powers of the national government, 20 June, 1788. He put too much faith in the American people. This is why the anti-federalists, as negative as they were, were correct. They realized humanity, for the most part, is depraved. The animal side of us is 80 to 90% of the population. The thinking side of us, 10 to 20, and of that, per Madison's own admission, 
split in opinion, not unified, not lockstep. So he should have never expected the system to work the way he saw it working. This is a case that the Federalist Papers are a case of Mr. Madison being too close to the issue. It was his baby. Contrary to his objection, he was the author of the Constitution. He was at the convention. He helped ratify it. He wrote it. He helped push the Bill of Rights. He knew how in in his mind it was supposed to work. So he never anticipated most of the objections that people were issuing ever happening. Because in his mind, it just wouldn't happen. He had a good, high, lofty idea of the people of this country. His problem was that he treated everybody as though they were him. They weren't. And if he'd have been able to look in the mirror and see how he lived vis-a-vis some of his own hypocrisies, he might have understood this. But he's human, folks. He's human. That's part of this. He's, he's human. Get to know our founding fathers, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Now, he said, if tyranny and oppression come to this land, it will be in the guise of fighting a foreign enemy. Who are we fighting now? Foreigners, right? Iran, this, that, and everything. But we've invited them here. We've imported them. Our government has imported our enemies. And now we've got open borders just welcoming them in, and we're using tax dollars to bring them in and settle them down. So, yeah, the overthrow of this country is coming in the guise of fighting a foreign enemy, you know, terrorism, this, that, and everything else. Americans need never fear the government because of the advantage of being armed, which the Americans possess over the people of almost every other nation. That would be the individual, not the National Guard, because the National Guard is government. So this settles the Second Amendment as to what they mean by the people. Federalist 46, January 29, 1788. says, beside the advantage of being armed, which the Americans possess over the people of almost every other nation, the existence of subordinate governments to which the people are attached and by which the militia officers are appointed form a barrier against the enterprises of ambition more insurmountably than that which a simple government of any form can admit. Federalist number 48, February 1st, 1788, the second federal, you know, two later. Now what he's telling you is if the federal government gets out of hand, you have state. And if the state gets out of hand, you have uh, county. The county gets out of hand, you have, this is exactly what we talked about yesterday, subordinate governments. Subordinate government, local governments are in charge of the militia, not states, not federal, local. And what is the, remember what they, he told us? He told us the only democracy that really works is the community democracy where everybody knows each other. That's where the, the that's where your militias would be raised from communal religion, militias from regional areas. So it is impossible for the man of pot. We've read this about the hand of Providence. We hold it for a fundamental and undeniable truth that religion or the duty we owe our creator in the manner of discharging it can be directed only by reason and conviction, not by force or violence. The religion then of every man must be left to the conviction and conscience of every man. And it is the right of every man to exercise it as they may dictate. This right is in its nature an unalienable right. Memorial and remonstrance, remonstrance, whatever. Memorial and remembrances against religious assessment, 1785. Blah, 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 blah. Him and his big words. What's he telling us? First of all, it's an undeniable truth that religion or the duty we owe our creator 
Well, wait, 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 wait. Duty to your creator? A deist doesn't do that. Yeah, you're right. A deist doesn't think he has a duty to the creator. Well, a, a duty to your creator? A Hindu doesn't think that. No, he doesn't. A pagan doesn't think that. No, he doesn't. An atheist doesn't think that. The only people who think they have a duty to the creator are people of the book, Jews, Christians, and Muslims. Madison was not a Muslim. Madison was not a Jew. So where does he get his religious thinking from? Yeah. It's logic. You figure that one out for yourself. The people of the U.S. owe their independence and their liberty to the wisdom of decrying in the mixed, uh, in the minute tax. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, let me stop. The people of the U.S. owe their independence and their liberty to the wisdom of descrying in the minute tax of three pence on tea, the magnitude of the evil comprised in the precedent. Let them exert this same wisdom in watching against every evil lurking under plausible disguises and growing up from small beginnings. This is a detached memoranda, CA 31, January 1820. In other words, three pence tax on tea, not even three pennies. A pence is less than a penny in our parlance. So for, for three pence, on tea, the tax on tea, three pence, the United States went to war. He said we should keep that same spirit on everything that seeks to irsup our rights and liberty and our independence. <laughs> We've lost that spirit, folks. A popular government without popular information or the means of acquiring it is but a prologue to a farce of tragedy, which is why they want to control and censor, or perhaps both. Knowledge will forever govern ignorance. And a people who mean to be their own governors must arm themselves with the power which knowledge gives. Letter to W.T. Barry, August 4, 1822. So in other words, the press must be free. Right now, the press is not free. What becomes of the surplus of human life? Oh, boys and girls, please listen. What becomes of the surplus of human life, the excess humanity? It is either first destroyed by infanticide as among the Chinese and Lacedaemonians, whoever they are, or second, it is stifled or starved as among other nations whose population is commensurate to its food, or third, it is consumed by wars and endemic disease, or fourth, it overflows by immigration to places where a surplus of food is attainable. Surplus of life. Or fifth, a group of people arise up to just get rid of them, execute them in one way, shape, form, or another, maybe by vaccine. I threw that comment in there just to give you an idea of something. When I tell you that there's very little that you will not find the founding fathers discussing, I'm serious. They got into just about everything. So when you hear somebody today tell you, the founding fathers never thought about that, the first thing out of your mouth would be, should be, are you sure? Are you really sure? Well, the founding fathers never thought about you having a machine gun. They had two different types of machine gun that I'm aware of that you were allowed to have at the time of the founding. And one of them was an automatic grenade launcher. You just turn the handle and it was like 90 millimeter grenades. Boom, 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 boom. As fast as you turn the handle. Pluckett gun is what I think they called it. So yes, they did envision you having a machine gun. 
Well, they went, what? You'd have a battleship. Yes, they had people that owned battleships called privateers. Well, you couldn't have a cannon. Yes, the Battle of Bunker Hill was fought with privately owned cannons. So, well, they never thought about this, that, or the other thing. You better pay attention. They thought about this country having over 300 million people just east of the Mississippi. What? Yes, east of the Mississippi. Franklin wrote about that. They thought about just about everything. Here, surplus of humanity. I threw that in there just so you see that. It says, but ambition encroachment of the federal government on the authority of the state governments would not excite the opposition of a single state or of a few states only. They would be signals of general alarm. But what degree of madness could ever drive the federal government to such an extremity? Federals, number 46, January 29, 1788. In other words, if Biden did to the border states what he's doing to the border states, every state would be alarmed, not just 25. Well, it's just 25. Where are the rest? And then what degree of madness would form the government to do this? Well, well, I don't know what it is, but Madison would say what our government doing right now is madness. He just said it. Says history records that money changers have used every form of abuse, intrigue, deceit, and violent means possible to maintain their control over governments by controlling the money and its issuance. That's what the Federal Reserve is about, and that's what this uh, digital money that they're pushing for right now is going to be about. It's about control over government and the people. He knew that. And then here. This is um, on Jefferson in a letter to Samuel Harrison Smith, November 4, 1826. He's talking about Jefferson. He says, he was certainly one of the most learned men of the age. It may be said of him, as has been said of others, that he was a walking library. And what can be said of but a few such prodigies, that the genius of, philosopher, of philosophy ever walked hand in hand with him. So he held a high regard for Mr. Jefferson. There are many, many, many other quotes we could have put in here. Just um, just to show you, I'm not going to read them, but this is from my personal files. This is what's left that I haven't selected from. And the ones in red I was thinking about putting up here today. This is just These are just pull quotes from different letters and different essays and different things that Mr. Madison has written. And I've read a good number of them, but not as much of Madison's writings as I have of Jefferson's. Look, man, I'm still going, folks. I'm still going. I'm still going. This is just my personal file. My personal file here is, what, uh, 98 pages of Madison's, of quotes from Madison. Just quotes. The voluminous work. And this is just one of the founding fathers. We, progressives, we know who they are. So mess on them. Conservatives, you point to the founding fathers all the time. And then the founding fathers would let me keep my corporation. Really? Really? You, you, you want to talk about that to Madison and Jefferson and to Franklin and a few others that said no? No, heck no. Mm-mm, mm-mm, not, mm-mm. not even. So why don't we ever bring them up? Or how about Jefferson and Franklin that said, if you get so rich that you've got a problem with paying your fair share, get the heck out of free society, civil society. Just go go live with the savages. Both of them said that. Both of them were rich. And they both 
said, if you've got a problem paying a little bit extra. Now, what they would have not have liked is the progressive income tax. What they would have said is, well, if I levy a 10% tax and the poor man doesn't have to pay anything because he doesn't have any money and I got to pay a million dollars because I've got a hundred million dollars. If you're going to complain because you paid a hundred million dollars and he paid nothing, you paid the same percent, shut up or get out of society. That's what they would tell you. We don't read the founding fathers. So how do we know what they believed? And when we do read them, too often we'll read one side of the debate, not the other. You cannot read the anti-federalists and understand the Constitution. You cannot read the Federalist Papers and understand the Constitution. You have to read both. You can't read Thomas Hobbes and the Leviathan and understand why the Founding Fathers rejected him. You can't really read John Locke and the First and Second Treaties on Government and understand why the Founding Fathers accepted him. You read both of those works together, Hobbes and Locke side by side, you get it. You understand. Singularly, they both sound great. But you have to see the differences between the two side by side. We don't put in the work. And yet, we claim the name. Just like so many people claim the name of Christ without ever reading the Gospels or the rest of the Bible. That's okay. You work out your own life, your own salvation, your own happiness. It's your conscience. If you're happy with what you're at, okay, I'll side with Madison. Fine. The problem there, though, is is too many of us are ignorant, and you have too much authority to trample on your fellow man now, and you think you're justified in it. And I don't necessarily mean you listening to me, but I don't necessarily excuse you either because I know that I'm guilty of this myself. We all are. It's the state of the human condition. So we will vote for things that we shouldn't be voting for or do things that we shouldn't be doing because it's the want of the need now rather than the intellect of the good later. When you Listen to Madison and Jefferson and some of the other founders talk about the happiness of people, the happiness of the country, the happiness of the American posterity. They're not talking about happy, happy, joy, joy. We're all partying, drinking. No, they're talking about the fact that you still have a free society to live in, that you have the protections of law, that you have your rights protected. Virtue. That's what they're talking. They're talking about virtue. And if we become a virtualist people, and we have, we lose our liberty, and we have. And the generation that loses it never gets it back, not anywhere in history. And we've lost it. Those of us who are alive today have seen the fall of the United States of America as it was founded. You no longer operate under the Constitution as it was drafted and ratified. It's gone. If you think it isn't, spend a little more time in the archives of this show. Don't take my word for it. Chase down some of the things I've shown you. And then ask yourself, how could that happen if we were still functioning the way the Founding Fathers expected us to function? 
And if the answer is it couldn't, then the question is, are you still functioning under that document then, or even under the spirit that wrote that document? And the answer had better be no. And if you're not, then you're not under that document. All right. We thank each and every one of you for being here. Our hearts and prayers and with uh, Charlie and Gummy Bear. I won't tell you what's going on there, but keep them in your prayers, please. Also, quick programming note. If you are one of the few classmates who joins us for our Sabbath studies and all that, we will be doing them tomorrow. Um, we still have an illness in our congregation or a crucial figure, a you know, crucial member of our congregation still in hospital. So um, we'll, if you're going to watch tomorrow, you'll, you'll see more of that. You know how to find us. If, if you're not, if that's not you, that's cool. You don't need to worry about this. But for those of you that this pertains to, we'll be things as normal tomorrow. Uh, Manic Monday coming up Monday. Uh, for now, though, we, you know, we, we thank each and every one of you for, for being here. We appreciate you, uh, especially those of you who donate to us. We are right at the cusp of being self-sufficient. Uh, got to get a couple more of you to sign up for that $5 a month thing, just so that we got a little bit of buffer in case, you know, the light bill's a little higher from day to day, from month to month or whatever. But we're almost there. And then once we get self-sufficient, maybe I can get a few more of you to donate just to make up in case somebody else doesn't donate that month. Or so I can afford to give Charlie a little bit of gas money. It's one thing to take it out of my pocket to come here. It's another one to ask somebody who's totally volunteering since he's not here. I'll speak in his defense and behalf right now. Uh, the AI, she does the show with her underwear on sitting at home and eating Cheetos in her mom and dad's basement. I mean, she's AI. She could also be, I, I don't know, sitting in an opulent palace somewhere with a bunch of boys fanning her and peeling her grapes. She's AI. Who knows what goes on in the virtual world? So I have to check. Um, I'll give you a hint. Yes. None of that. Oh, that's right. Furries. You're surrounded by furries. No, none of that either. <laughs> all right. We love y'all. for. I miss yeah? Charlie so much. You miss Charlie? <laughs> we love all of y'all. Y'all take care and stay safe. If you like what we're doing, please give us a thumbs up. That talks to Charlie and Natasha. Even when Charlie's not here, lets you know you appreciate them and you thank them for their efforts and their, their uh, volunteer work here on the show. If you like what the show is doing, not necessarily the host, uh, share the show directly with as many people as you can think of that it might benefit. Ask them to give it a chance. Um, warn them, explain them, whatever. Tell them whatever you need to tell them about me. Just get them ready for me, but tell them it's what we do and what we're trying to teach and how we try to work. Ask them to give it a couple of days or whatever. It builds on itself, you know, whatever. But urge them. The show's only going to grow if you help it grow. Okay. Don't count on people stumbling across us because we're being throttled. We know that as a fact. I'm not going to tell you how we know, but we do know that like Facebook, they're throttling us. Rumble, on the other hand, starting to like us a little more. They, they monetize everything now. So we're getting a little traction there, but other than that, man, we thank y'all for being here and hopefully that we're still serving you. And if there's anything else we can do for you, please email the road to Concord. Joe at the road to concord.com. We'll get back to you till Monday. Y'all stay safe and take care. We're going to get out of here. Oh, hold on. Guys.